Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Listen anytime you miss a service or want to hear a message again from our Sunday worship services and select special services. Lead Pastor Brian Bauer, as well as guest speakers, will bring messages that will help you encounter God, love people. Join us for virtual service on Facebook Live at Encounter Thrive. Or for those comfortable, we'd love to have you for our in-person services Sundays at 10. To learn about us, what we believe, how to connect, how to give, or how to find us, visit the all-new EncounterThrive.com. And now, here is our message. We are so glad you're here today. The guest speaker today is actually wrapping up our series, and his message for you today is awesome. So I have known Ed Ainsworth uh, for over 20 years now. Man, it's been a, I was just doing the math yesterday, and I'm like, man, we've known each other for a minute. <laughs> um, that being said, I had not seen him probably in person for like nine or ten years. So today we talk, we talk often, uh, but he has been a church three-time church planter. Uh, he has been a national youth speaker, spoken all over, and not just national, international youth speaker. He speaks all over the world. He has spoken all over the country. Uh, I didn't even know. He shared last night uh, with a few of us. He's done a couple documentaries. I did know and saw him on the Dr. Phil show. He used to do abstinence talks all across the country. Uh, he was known as, this is, this is for real, sex ed. Um, and teaching on being waited until marriage. I, not only have I never heard Pastor Ed give a bad message, every time I leave, I am challenged, encouraged, and blessed. Matter of fact, the other day, had kind of a rough day, and I'm like, man, I could use some Ed time. I'm so looking forward to it. And I left after just a, just a long lunch feeling like, man, I'm ready to take on the world. Uh, so I hope you're welcome, receive from a mentor and friend of mine in ministry and just an amazing man of God, Pastor Ed Ainsworth. Come on up. Did I? There we go. All right. Good. Is this the way you want this on the side like that? Okay. That's great. That's, that's good for me. It's such a privilege to be with Pastor Brian and Angie and, uh, like he said, get some face-to-face time. We do talk on the phone quite a bit. Um, but uh, I love my privilege to travel. I have planted three churches. Uh, my church that I currently pastor is, <clears throat> the name, name of it is Generations Church. We planted it uh, in November. It'll be 16 years old. And so we've done what you're doing. <laughs> uh, although, I've got to say, um, I was just sitting there worshiping or standing there worshiping earlier and just felt like the Lord prompted me to deliver something to you as a church and specifically Pastor Brian and Angie. You know, prophecy, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul defines prophecy. He's, he talks about the gifts of the Spirit in, in verse tw- chapter 12. Chapter 13, he talks about love. In chapter 14, he talks about how the gifts of the Spirit function in a church. And in defining prophecy, he said prophecy is three things. It is exhortation, encouragement, and comfort. Now, when you and I, most of the time, when we think about prophecy, we think about somebody telling you your future. And that was an Old Testament prophet, a prophetic book. In the New Testament, the spiritual gift of prophecy is just to exhort, to encourage, and to comfort. 
and um, the fivefold ministry office of a prophet will probably tell you some things about your future. But when in, in the body of Christ, when somebody just encourages you, edifies you, uh, exhorts you, it could happen over the phone, it could happen in a conversation, uh, it, it can be classified as prophecy according to the New Testament. Nod your head at me if you understand what I'm saying. Many of you have functioned in the gift of prophecy in encouraging, exhorting, and comforting during a time called COVID. You've helped people. And I want to encourage, I want to prophesy to this church. I'm not a prophet, so don't, I don't fit in that uh, category of five-fold ministry. I'm a pastor. But according to 1 Corinthians 14, 3, I want to prophesy to you. I am in awe of your church. I'm in awe of your pastors. Nobody plants a church and during six years moves 17 times and is still going. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody does that. And if you're a guest and you didn't know that about this church, you're in an awesome church. You're in a group of people that they have perseverance. They have, and this is the prophetic part of what I want to say. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 6, verse 7, and verse 9, God tells Joshua three different times, be strong and courageous. And you know the word, everybody say courageous. courageous. Say it again, courageous. courageous. Courageous is not machismo. Courageous is not, I'm ready to take on hell with a water pistol. That's not courage. I want everybody to close your eyes, please. I want you to imagine a big rock face in front of you. Matter of fact, I'm going to describe a literal place that I've been in Boulder, Colorado. It's called Flatirons. And it is about a mile long and I don't know, it's over 10,000 feet high and it's nothing but sheer rock cliffs and people free climb it all the time in Boulder, Colorado. Many people free climb it and die because they slip and fall. But here's the definition of the word courage according to the biblical context of Joshua chapter 1. With your eyes closed, imagine this. You take a step, you lay hold of a foothold on the flat irons, and you can't afford to go backwards or you die. That's courage. And I open up your eyes and look at me a minute. In my terminology, courage is you take a step and you never go back. You make a decision. Another word for courage according to the biblical definition would be you have a conviction and it's non-negotiable. Raise your hand if you've got convictions in your life. Okay. This church is full of courageous people. You're pastored by two people that have taken a step of faith and honored God in obedience and refused to turn back. They're convicted about what God has called this church to be. And I honor them and I honor you and, and, and I am blown away by what God is doing and will do. I can't wait to see the future of what God's going to do in Thrive Church. Can you say amen? amen. Right. I want you to stand with me as we read God's word. 
If you've got a physical Bible like I have in my hand, or it's on the screen if you don't, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20 says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, her reply was, grant that these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand, <clears throat> one on your right hand and, one, and then the other one on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They, being the sons, said to him, we are able. Verse 23, so he said to them, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. In other words, he's telling them you're going to die, just like me. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it's for those whom it is prepared by my Father. Verse 24, and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased and with the, when the, two, bro with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Father, we thank you for the word of God today that's alive and active and sharper and more powerful than any two-edged sword. I thank you today that your anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit is already here. We don't ha have to ask you to fall down, blow in, or move through us because according to the scripture where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. So Lord, what we believe is because we showed up, you showed up. You're here. And Lord, we want to hear your voice. We don't want to hear a man's voice. I pray that you help me speak your word with authority and clarity and let my thoughts be your thoughts and let my words be your words. And Lord, let people leave this place today after having had a divine encounter with a living, loving, caring God. And Father, that we would be different and be equipped to minister to the world that's outside this building today. And Lord, I ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, you can be seated. The title of my message is entitled, The Missing Piece. How many of you have ever put together a puzzle and you got to the end and the puzzle's almost all together and you're missing a piece? Anybody ever done that? How frustrating is that? Very frustrating. Who said that? You did. Okay. So here's the crazy thing. My grandchildren, I forgot to tell you I'm married. I've been married for 44 years. I've had, only had one wife. Come on, somebody. Say Amen. And her name is Connie, and uh, we have three great kids, uh, Jeff, Danae, and Lance. They're 43, 41, and 39, and I have seven great, grand, or wonderful grandchildren, not great-grandchildren. They are great, but they are grandchildren, and uh, they're God's reward for me not killing my kids. <laughs> I love them, uh, but they do puzzles at my house, and we've got one or two puzzles that they pull out, and they want to do the puzzle, and they go, no, that one's missing a piece. And so they don't even get it out and do it. You know what? The world outside this church, they think we're all weird. They think every one of us in this room, they think you're weird for coming to church on Sunday morning. They, if they got here, they would think Pastor Brian is, is a weirdo. They don't care who your pastor is. They don't care that you meet in a gym. They don't care anything. The world does not care about 
who you are. And the world doesn't care anything about me. You know what I found when I was traveling all over this country speaking in public schools about not having sex till, I was, till you were married or they were married? And I, I did that. That's one of the, what gave me the power and the authority to be able to do that. Was it not something I'd wish I'd done? It's not, I mean, I wasn't a man hoe in college and said, oh, dang, that was so stupid. Don't do what I did. You know, uh, I was teaching kids how to protect themselves physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially. How many of you know when God said keep sex and marriage, he was concerned about your money? Who, who knows that having kids costs money? And if it's a teenager having kids, it still costs you money because your tax dollars pay for it. Look at your neighbor and go, hmm. So here's the thing. I found out being in the world... Because I didn't go into a school as a pastor. I didn't go into a school as a youth pastor. I went into school as sex ed. I went in as a consultant. And those people didn't give a flying rip about the church. You could tell it in their conversations. And, and, and you know, here, here's the thing. The day is long gone that people come to a church because of the preacher. It's over. It's done. People come to a church because of you, because of how you live and the example that you are in the community, the way you do business, the way you conduct your affairs with your children, the way that you talk, the way that you act, the way that you represent Jesus in the world. And that being said, I'm going to tell you that I believe you, you and you and you and you and the sound guys, you're the missing piece to reaching this world for Jesus. Brian doesn't need to preach better. We don't need to get a better worship team. We don't need to, we don't need to get some more gadgets up on stage and some more lights. We don't need to improve any of that stuff. What needs to improve is the body of Christ being the missing piece. And I want to address a couple of situations here in this text First of all, we want to go back to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, and we want to notice that the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, these are the sons of thunder, these are the two dudes that have anger issues. How many of you know Jesus didn't choose perfect people? They got anger issues. And not only do they have anger issues, they're mama's boys, because somewhere behind the scene they said, hey mom, would you go talk to Jesus for us? I mean, these big, tough anger, man, anger issue guys are really mamby-pamby mama's boys. Jesus told them, I can't give you this position. You're going to die that way anyway. He said that in verse 23. And then the crux where I want to get to is with you is at verse 24. The ten were greatly displeased. So the other ten disciples, and we know they weren't perfect either. One of them was going to deny Jesus was going to betray Jesus. These fishermen had a foul mouth. Peter couldn't keep his mouth shut. Matthew was a tax collector. I mean, Jesus' disciples had real issues. And here, they're showing their true colors. They are ticked off that James and John have tried to, listen to what I'm about to say, they've tried to socially climb to the top of the ladder behind their back. 
Anybody know anybody at your company, in your business, in your neighborhood that they're going, they're trying to go around the process and they're trying to get to the top of the heap by manipulation or by uh, some form of trickery or deceit and they're trying to get to the top. That's what was going on. And the ten looked at the two and said, you guys are jerks. And then Jesus had had enough. He called all of them to himself, it says. And he said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, the ungodly people. They lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over you. In other words, come on, this is what they're talking about. Through title, through position, they're looking down on you. Exercising their authority over you and pushing you down. And I guarantee you specifically, if you didn't know this, the, at this time, the nation of Israel was an occupied country. They're talking about the Roman Empire squashing them down and lording it over them. And Jesus said to them, they are lording it over you so they can be great. They push you down to be great. And that's exactly what the 10 thought James and, uh, John and James were doing, was that they were pushing them down and trying to elevate themselves just like the world. Those that are great exercise authority over you. It shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Can I just... Go to the next slide, guys. I want to sh show you something. It says this. Greatness was not a taboo subject with Jesus. He just needed to address how they got there and what it looks like when you get there. You can read this text over and over. You can go read it in uh, the very similar text in, in Matthew and Mark. You can go read it in other places. Jesus was not angry with them for the desire to be great. Are you hearing me? He was not mad. He did not chastise the disciples for the desire to elevate and to be great at what they do. You should desire to be the greatest salesman in your company. You should desire to elevate your life to a place of greatness because I guarantee you God can bless you and use your money to bless the kingdom but, and, and use you in a greater capacity of influence. The desire to be great is not taboo with God. You should want to be the best singer. You should want to be the best that there is. You should want to be the best employee, the best mechanic, the best secretary. Whatever it is that you do, you should desire to be great. But what Jesus had the problem with was how are you going to get there? And what does it look like when you do get there? Jesus said the way to greatness, the path to greatness, we'll go back to the verse. He said it in verse 26. It will not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, the way you get there is you're a servant leader. You've been in a series talking about fast forward, talking about moving forward. Jesus was addressing two Guys, James and John, that wanted to elevate themselves. They wanted to go forward. They wanted to go to the top. The ten were ticked off because of the way that they were doing it. The thing is, God wants you to go forward. He wants you to elevate. He wants you to succeed. He wants to have see you become great at what you do. 
But he wants to make sure you do it the right way. And then he says in verse 28, verse 27, he says, those that desire to be first among you, let him be your slave. Another place it says it's actually up in Matthew chapter 19, the, verse right, the chapter right before this. The last will be first and the first will be? The last will be first and the last will be? There we go. He is concerned. He is not concerned about your desire to be number one. He's concerned about how you do it and what it looks like when you get there. Are you a servant? Jesus went on to live the example. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, that he came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. There are three guys that were called to greatness in the Bible. Moses, Gideon, and Jeremiah. These three men, go another slide forward. These three men were called to greatness. We know it. We, we've, read the, we've read the stories, right? We've read the stories of Gideon. We've read the story of Jeremiah. We've read the story of Moses. God called them to greatness. Say amen if you believe that. Amen. He did. They were great men of God. Guess what? was also common to Moses, Jeremiah, and Gideon. None of them were preachers. Moses was a shepherd. Jeremiah was a teenager. And all of you young people listening to me today, don't you dare use the excuse you're too young. Don't you dare. It won't work. It doesn't work with God. And you're going to see that in a minute. Gideon was too poor. Moses, they all three, you see on the screen, I've broken it down for you, they all three had excuses. Moses said, I can't speak. How many of you know he really could? Jeremiah said, I'm too young. God said, shut up. Called him anyway. I knew you in your mother's womb. I know the gift that I've put inside you. So don't tell me you're too young. Gideon said, I'm too, we're, we're too poor. And, and, and here's what Gideon said. Gideon said, my, my tribe is the least, my family is the least, and I'm the least in my family. And I've got a very serious question to ask you, Thrive Church. Who told Gideon that? Who told Gideon that, that his tribe was the least, his family was the least in the tribe, and he was the least in the family, so much that he was threshing wheat in a wine press and hiding while he was doing it? Who told him all that nonsense? And don't tell me the devil, because I'll tell you, no, he didn't. You know who told Gideon that? His uncle, his football coach, his mom, his dad. Because he believed them. You're the least. You go flesh, wheat, in a wine press. And our tribe, we're nobody in our tribe, and our family's nobody in our tribe. And Gideon drank the Kool-Aid. Didn't he? Some of you listening to the sound of my voice, you have been told you can't, you won't, you never will. This, you will never, greatness is beyond you. That is a lie from the pits of hell. The Jesus that lives on the inside of you wants you to be great. Jesus never chastised any of the disciples for the desire within them to be great. He would never chastise Pastor Brian for wanting to build a great, influential church 
But he's, what he's concerned about is how Thrive Church is going to get there and what it looks like when you do arrive there. But you know what he told all three of these guys? The answer's on the screen. He told them when Moses said, I can't speak, the, and the text, the verses are there. You can, take, you can take a picture of it with your phone and go study it. He said, I am with you. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. I am with you. Gideon said, my family's the least. I'm the least in my family. My tribes, I am with you. And we know the end of the story. God with them was enough. They accomplished greatness based on simple fact that God was with them. Were they perfect? No. Did they make mistakes? Yes. Did God leave them? No. There's a paradigm in our world that says everybody, this next slide talks about the world's power structure and the world's structure is we serve the CEO, we serve the owner, we serve the pastor. In other words, everybody down at the bottom of the pyramid is called the power style or the position style or the title style of leadership. And everybody serves up to the CEO. Everybody serves up to the pastor. Everybody serves up to the owner of the company. And it's all like this. It's based on a power structure. Where the kingdom of God is upside down, it's absolutely, totally opposite. Jesus is at the bottom of the pyramid. He served one, John the Beloved. He served three, Peter, James, and John. There were three specific occasions where he only took those three men with him. I don't know what the other nine were doing, and I certainly wouldn't want to be one of the other nine. I don't know about y'all. There was one, there was three, there was 12, there were 72, and then there was a multitude. But Jesus, the bottom line, from, from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and even on into the book of Acts, Paul teaches it. There is a style of leadership that you start at the bottom, the last will be first, and the first will be last. You serve, you're a servant leader. Jesus said it outright in Matthew 20, 28. I did not come to serve I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom. He is serving up. That's the style. Matter of fact, if you're sitting here today and you're under 40, you resent power, structure, and title, and position. You resent it in the worst way if you're under 40. Those of us that are over 40, like myself, we were raised on that kind of structure of position, title, and power. And it doesn't mean as much, it doesn't bug us as much. But if you're under 40, you despise that. I was teaching in Guatemala. Pastor Brian just briefly spoke about international ministry. I've traveled and preached in 51 different countries in the world. And most of those countries I've done leadership training for indigenous pastors. I was preaching, speaking, teaching, training, whatever you want to call it, 43 pastors and their wives in Guatemala. And I had this exact slide on the screen. And I was talking about this exact text. And I got to the part where I said that, that servant leadership is the example that Jesus gave. Jesus is at the bottom and serving up all the things that I just mentioned to you. And the audience, we're in a very small room in the mountains of Guatemala. And all of the pastors and their wives, they start 
turning to each other and they start talking to one another. And I mean, I'm, I'm getting ticked off. I'm thinking these people are rude and disrespectful. I came all the way from America to teach them and they're going to turn their back because they were turning in their chairs, talking to people behind them and beside them. And there was just this buzz in the room. And I looked at my translator, his name was Peter. And I said, I said, and I was a little agitated. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was a little agitated and I looked at Peter and I said, Peter, what's going on? And Peter looked up at me and he had tears streaming down his face. And I said, Peter, what is going on in this room? He said, Pastor Ed, I don't want to be rude, but I didn't even want to come be your translator for this conference. I was so sick. All I could think of, I was so sick and tired of Americans coming to Guatemala and telling our pastors how, how the other triangle, how all of their, they need to teach, train, and, and tell all their people, you need to serve the mighty man of God in his vision. He said, I didn't want to do that. Because we've heard it over and over and over again from Americans. And I said, Peter, you're still not telling me what is going on in this room. He said, those people out there in those chairs, they are amazed. They, they're saying things like this in Spanish. They're saying, we've never heard this kind of teaching. We've never heard anybody give us this example of how Jesus washed feet. How Jesus was a servant leader. How Jesus was at the bottom serving his way up to a lost and dying world. And they're going, this, this is, they're going like this, this is it. This is what we've been looking for. That's what they're saying. Peter's weeping by this time because he can still hear. And I start crying. I, I become a blubbering, snot-slinging idiot. Because I just, I'm just blown away. By, I mean, there is a God Holy Spirit moment happening. I mean, if, if you, if, I didn't see one, but if you were just to describe it, it would be the cloud of God's Shekinah glory dropped down in that little bitty room of 45 or 50 people. And we, I mean, we, by the time, an hour and a half later, we were laying on the floor, we were crying, we were praying for each other because we were asking God to make us all servant leaders like Jesus. It was amazing. It marked me for the rest of my life. I'll never be the same after that meeting. I'll never be the same pastor. I'll never be the same preacher. Because thou, that divine encounter literally marked me. And I'm believing for God. It's crazy. It may sound. I'm believing for God to mark you today. That when you walk out of this gym that we call a church today, that you will realize outside this room that they don't care about Brian Bauer. They don't care who your pastor is. They don't care about how cool your lights and TVs and your worship team is. They could give a flying rip about that stuff. What they care about is, is somebody care about my broken heart? Does somebody care about my busted up marriage? Does somebody give a rip about my kid that's addicted to drugs and trying to self-mutilate and self-medicate? Does anybody care about the trauma, <coughs> the trauma and the drama that I'm going through? You can sit here and play church, 
the time you want to. But if you don't get this, this church will never grow. You're the missing piece, not him. You're the missing piece, not me. You could get Stephen Furtick on this platform, and he's not the missing piece. You could draw a crowd, they'll all be gone next week. You bring the circus to town to keep the crowd that came with the circus, you got to keep the circus in town. When the circus leaves town, the crowd leaves. But the missing piece is you. Your consistency of living for God in your neighborhood, in soccer moms. Whatever, I mean, I can think, I can, where you're at, just living for Jesus. You see, here's the, I got ahead of myself a little bit while ago, the power style of leadership, the next slide says it is resented, position, power, and title. Not only is it resented, it pushes people away. Come on, somebody, raise your hand if I'm making sense. It pushes people away. Power, title, and position creates competition. James and John were proof of it. It created competition within the disciples. They thought they were going to elevate themselves to a position their mama was going to help them. And it created competition. How many of you see competition at your job? For the title, the position, the power. That's not the way Jesus designed it. Jesus, <coughs> the structure that Jesus wants is a servant leadership. Presence leadership. The next slide says presence is this. When you're a servant leader and God's presence is on you, it gets noticed. It attracts people. Servant leadership is attractive. At our church, we, we are fortunate. We are buying a building. We, but I notice it when people are walking through the church and they see a piece of trash in the floor and they pick it up. If I'm walking in the mall and I see someone pick up trash, I'm going, oh, I bet they're a Christian. In the month of August, I spent 18 days in West Africa, Guinea, and Sierra Leone, and Liberia. In Liberia, I was staying at this, what they call a guest house, it was a hotel. And it's not even as good as a Motel 6, so it wasn't anything fancy. I go into my room, and the owner of the hotel, is the guest house, is showing me a room. Here's your bed. And I, I hate to say this, but I think it was a hooker hotel because my sheets said, I love you, all over it. And there was pink walls everywhere, and there was half a wall that was nothing but mirrors. So I, I'm, oh, and the other thing was the nightstand, there was about 20 condoms in it. So anyway, it is what it, what, what it is. He showed me the bathroom, and then the, the brand, it, that was what the remodel was all about, was he had, that for that room, they'd started with the bathroom. There was a spigot coming out for a shower head, but no knob. 
or no, there was a knob but no water. There was a big bucket on the floor with water in it and a toilet right here. And I've traveled the world. I knew what that bucket was. That was going to be my shower. There was a towel hanging. And, of course, I'm smart enough to take a towel with me. So I, I knew that was my washcloth towel. So about an hour after I get into my room and I'm unpacking, a knock at my door. And I hadn't seen this guy before. And he opens the door and introduces himself. He says, my name is Cyrus. He said, what do you want for dinner tonight? And I said, I want rice and chicken. He said, okay. And by the way, that's about all I ate when I was in Africa. It's because all I could trust. Um, and he comes and brings my rice and chicken. And, and I take it from him and I put it on the table. And he looks back at me and he says, would you like to have some hot water in the morning? And I said, yes. Because I was planning on, I knew that water was cold. <laughs> and, and I was planning on using it because that's all I was going to have. And I said, yes, Cyrus, I would like some hot water. So at 6.30 the next morning, I hear this. And of course, you ask who it is in a foreign country. <laughs> and I said, who is it? And he said, it's Cyrus. I have your hot water. So I open the door. And he brings my hot water in. And he mixes some of the cool water with the hot water. And oh, it, it was just wonderful to have hot, hot, steaming water for my sponge bath and to wash my hair. Well, I was there for five days, every single day. 6.30 in the morning, Cyrus didn't ask and he quit asking. After the first day, he showed up. Cyrus was a servant leader. I told Cyrus, I said, I've stayed in five-star hotels in America and I don't get as good a service as you've given me. You're amazing. And the last day, I invited him into my hotel room, the last meal I was going to eat on the last night. I was checking out the next day. And, and I, I asked Cyrus, I said, Cyrus, has anybody ever told you that Jesus loves you? And then he died on the cross for you. And, and Cyrus' eyes got real big. He said, no, I've never heard of Jesus. And the long story short is God gave me the privilege to lead Cyrus to Jesus in that hotel room. And I can't imagine the kind of leader Cyrus is going to be with the power of the Holy Spirit living on the inside of him. With the heartbeat that he had. I was able to connect him with the church that I'd preached in on Sunday morning. And it was the church that was hosting the, the pastor's conference that we were doing. So all I'm trying to say to you is if you look at the right-hand side of this screen, servant leadership gets noticed, servant leadership attracts people, and servant leadership, unlike Power-structured leadership, doesn't, power structure produces competition. Servant leadership produces unity and a spirit of teamwork. Can I get an amen? That's what God wants to do in this room right here. I want to ask at this time, I want to ask the worship team to come back to the stage and just stay up here with me for the next, next few minutes and get ready to sing that song, uh, More of Him and Less of Me, whatever the name of that song was. I want to walk you through some scriptures as I close this morning. Can you just put your pen away or your phone down or whatever you're doing and just, just look up here and look at me and look at the screen. I want you to look at Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. Jesus said this, then he appointed 12 that they might be, what? That they might be with him and that they might send them out to preach. That word preach right there is not like what I'm doing today. That word preach right there meant to share the gospel. To share the good news with somebody. 
Not, not the vocational role of a pastor. That's not what he's saying to them right there. And the next verse, I want you to notice with me, I want you to notice Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. It says this. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So in Acts chapter 2, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 3, they're going to church like they do every other day. But there's something different about them. And they see the guy sitting there, and he's lame, and he's never walked a day in his life. And Peter walks by him, and all of a sudden, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Silver and gold, I don't have any money, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And all of a sudden, all those atrophied muscles and all of his structure, can you imagine the miracle that that was, that that man, man went walking and leaping and praising God? But the reason for it is this, is these men had what? Been with Jesus. Not because they heard a great sermon. It's because they had encountered Jesus. They'd encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice with me Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, Paul is getting ready to leave Ephesus. Ephesus is the place that he stayed the longest. He planted a church there. He wrote a book to the Ephesians and he's calling the elders to himself and he's getting ready to leave. And he says, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have, look at the screen, I have been with you in all seasons. That's the mark of a true pastor. You're with them when they're sad. You're with them when they're bad. You're with them when they're glad. You're with them when they're mad. You're with them in all seasons of life. And that's what Paul was saying. I was with you. And then you come to Matthew chapter 28 and what we commonly call the Great Commission. These were Jesus' last words. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Here it is. Say it with me. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You, ma'am, you, sir, are the missing piece. And no matter what your excuse is here today, it doesn't wash with Jesus. It's not good enough. Well, you don't know my life story. I've been an addict. I've divorced. Listen, God does not care where you've been, what you've been doing, or who you've been doing it with. He only cares about where you're going. And furthermore, not only does he not care, he promises you, I am with you. You're the missing piece. Not Pastor Brian. If he could just preach a little better, we'd grow. If we could just get the worship leader to get her act together, sing some really cool songs and get the band going, we, we could draw some more people. That is stupidity. You've got a great worship team. You've got a great pastor. We need people that recognize that God's hand is on you. In the marketplace, God's hand is on you. 
wherever you go all day long. He wants to use you. You're the missing piece. I want every head bowed and every eye closed, please. Honoring the privacy of those that are sitting next to you. And I want to ask you a very serious question. Will you respond to the call of God today? You see, I believe every one of you are in the ministry. No, you're not in vocational ministry like Pastor Brian or myself, but I could show you chapter and verse. I could show you with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I could show you that according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, that God has called a pastor, a prophet, a teacher, an evangelist, and an apostle to equip the saints, of the, uh, the saints for the work of the ministry. You're in the ministry. In Jesus' name. Wake up, church. You're in the ministry. And those of you that are teenagers or college students that are sitting there saying, I do young. Shut up, fool. Come on. I say that with a smile on my face. I'm not mad at you, but God needs young people in high schools and universities that recognize they're in the ministry. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you, if you're sensing today that clear-cut knowing like never before in your life that you've got to walk out of here and be in the ministry, you're the missing piece. I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise your hand if you're recognizing that. There's hands up all over this room. Put your hands down, please. Head up, eyes open. Looking up here at Pastor Ed. If you raised your hand, would you stand up on your feet? Just stand up on your feet. I want to pray for you. I want to pray specifically for you. That doesn't mean those that are sitting haven't. Maybe they've already heard it. I don't know. I'm not here to judge them. It's not my role. But I do know that you that are standing on your feet, you sense something powerful in your life that you know that you've got to go forward. That's what this series has been about. You've got to go forward and be actively engaged in ministry. So with your head up and your eyes open, as I, my eyes move around the room, I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see every person is standing. You understand the context that they stood for that they want to function as ministers of the gospel, that they are the missing piece in their family. They're the missing piece in their neighborhood. They're the missing piece on their job. They're the missing piece in the civic club that they're a part of. They're the missing piece, and you want to flow through them. You want your words, your thoughts, your ideas, your creativity to flow through them to a lost and hurting and dying world. And God, I pray an anointing over these men and women. Lord, they may not know what to say or how to say it, but Lord, they're courageous. They're strong and courageous and will open up their mouth and you will fill it in the name of Jesus. I believe that. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We hope this message spoke to you and helped you grow in your knowledge of and love for God. Visit us online anytime at EncounterThrive.com and reach out with questions, prayer requests, or comments. We hope to see you for our in-person services in Lockport, Illinois, Sundays at 10.
Yeah. 